0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: So welcome, I'm Matt Ryan, Poly Director, host of Script to Screen. Tonight we're celebrating Script to Screen, Get Out, has been nominated for four Oscars, Best Actor, uh, Daniel Kalula. and three for our guest today, Jordan Field, Best Picture, Director, and, and I think the most important, original screenplays for a screenwriting show, uh, okay, so before we start, I just want to get the controversy out of the way. Mm-hmm. One bit of controversy. Do you feel snubbed because you didn't get a Best Documentary Feature <laughs> nomination? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's real life. Uh,
0: yes, no, I, 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 I do not feel snubbed. I, I feel very, uh, you know, this is like, this is the craziest dream come true. These nominations, you know the the genre of the movie and and the confusion over what to call it is kind of it's it's kind of cool to me. Um, You know, I I love I set out to make a a movie that we've never seen before, so I, I I think that you know our our there's a very human need to categorize things. You know, I think it's. It's something that makes us sort of stand out from the rest of the animal kingdom in in good ways, but also um, very bad ways. And so the fact that this movie itself is about categorization that we do, um, I find it kind of like, you know, twisted and a little funny that we're having a hard time categorizing the movie itself.
1: I think it's one of the reasons people, uh, because it was a phenomenal success. Horror films usually do not gross Hundreds of millions of dollars. It's one of the reasons we keep going back to see it over and over again, or yeah. study it because they don't feel like they don't know how to categorize it.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's cool. I, you know, I've th- there's there are I, I do think the repeat viewing of the movie is the thing that s- sort of sent the the box office into that other stratosphere, and I and I couldn't be more pleased. It's you know I've I really was trying to so layers into it that I, I, I imagined, you know, 20 years in the future, somebody would go, you know, that movie Get Out, it's got some interesting stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, you, you should, you look, I gotta, I'm going to write something about that. So the fact that that caught on in, instantly, the, those uh, Easter eggs and uh, mm-hmm. the I think the rewatchability, I think... You know, I, want, I wanted to make a movie that didn't rely on a twist, but has many reveals to it. Um, and, and I think, I think that's an, another thing that, that happens is it's, it's fun to take somebody who hasn't seen the movie, watch, you know, watch it with them, basically watch them watch it. You know? <laughs> I think that's like... That's Did you do a lot of that at the beginning
1: when oh. it first came out? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm tuned into the audience. Which Um, is interesting, because the audience horror film has a really special relation with the audience, because it is so emotional and visceral, and, you know, the bodily reactions. When writing the script, did you imagine the audience reactions in your scene? Was that part of the process for you?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, so I'm from,
0: uh, you know, comedy, and uh, when you do enough live comedy, you just get into this, um you you are in a zone where you're trying to get the whole audience to react and you're trying to sort of surf the emotion and the, pre- the where where the moment is taking the audience you're trying to be very conscious of that so that's my that's my pedigree basically that's what what is i, I have an audience uh, in my head that is like my best guess of how this will work for writing a joke on kean peel i can sort of hear if it works or not. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I've got a pretty good gauge. And then, um, so that, moving into this, uh, this horror genre, it was the same, same thing. You know, it's, it's, you just have to be very conscious of what the audience knows, what the audience feels, what the audience uh, thinks is going to happen. Um, you know, those things at, at every point.
1: It's interesting, what, uh, any horror films uh, influence you especially? Uh yeah, uh the 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 big ones were Rosemary's Baby
0: and and uh The Stepford Wives. Um, um. among among others, but you know, those those, those were uh, stories written by Ira Levin, who is a, you know, really brilliant novelist and and um has written many screenplays and and his technique of inching us towards this in, inevitable horrific reveal, um, but not moving so fast that you don't understand why the lead character is staying in the the the, uh, the 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 scene. You know, I mean, this this whole movie was made to address the 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 black need for characters in horror movies to do the right thing to avoid danger. I don't know if you ever watched a, a horror movie <laughs> in a black neighborhood, but it gets loud. <laughs> and black people are like, come on, get, come on, get out the house, you know. <laughs> Call the cops, no, don't walk backwards, <laughs> motherfucker, don't do it. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to make a movie that uh, was for that audience, and, and I knew I had to if I was going to have a, a, a black protagonist in this movie. It, the characters' actions have to pass... The, the African-American smell test.
1: <laughs> you know, it has
0: to, or else you're, d- you're just done. And so what I realized was what Ira Levin did with Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives is he wove these, these very social thrillers, and uh, he built them so subtly that the main character couldn't quite tell if something really dark and horrendous was happening... Or if this was just garden variety, um, average uh, social weirdness, and that's what kept, keeps them in the character. So, you know, I, I think with what one of the things we achieved with Chris is like we understand why he's there. Even if we want him to, even want him to
1: leave, we we get it. Yeah. Did you have to balance that because we know you don't want to diminish his intelligence. Because we should get out. So was that something early on in the draft with Chris you had to focus on to make sure he was smart enough to you know, not be that character? Well, it's, it's the, I think what ruins a lot of horror movies
0: is it, it's hard to write a, a, a horror movie where the lead character does the right thing. Because mm-hmm. as soon as it gets scary, leave is the right thing. Right. And then all of a sudden you're paying for another set. You don't have the money for another set. You don't have <laughs> a, You got to bring the monster over. So it, there's <laughs> there's uh it, it's it's a very uh, it's a difficult thing. And you know there's this you know some some classic. It's like an Eddie Murphy bit. I don't know if you guys remember. I think from maybe Delirious, but um, and Richard Pryor did some material on this too. But this idea of like if if black people were in you know the leads of a horror movie, it would go very differently. And the, the example Eddie Murphy uses is like this sort of Amityville horror setup, where you know white family goes into a house and he hears "get out," and it's like, "What do we do? What do we do?" or something like that. <laughs> black black family, you know, goes in the same house. Oh, nice chandeliers, I like it. This is get out. Too bad we can't stay. <laughs> It'd be a short movie. um <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, this extra sort of, you know, I I think the reason this movie, um, you know, sort of resonated so much is it turns out everybody, you know, whatever whatever race you are, everybody wants the main character to do the smart thing, right. and there's there's just a, a, a tradition that's of, of horror that gets a little bit lazy on that. Right. No, no,
1: no. But for you, it's interesting because most horror films go the route where the, 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 the woman is the victim hero and traumatized. You decide to flip the convention, make the male actually have a traumatic experience. Was, uh, so did you always land on that or did you consider other options? Going for the woman character or something else?
0: You know what? There was a draft or an almost draft. Um, in fact, it probably wasn't even a draft. It was probably an outline, somewhere in the outline process, which the outline took me very long. I explored so many angles, and there was a point where I was exploring what if Jeremy, the brother of the the Armitage family, also brought brought home a, brought home a black woman, oh, and that that too. would be a moment where Chris is like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, they're both you know both siblings. You know, are bringing home black people. It's like just one more kind of, left. and and that. Th- th- that thing ended up
1: turning into the Georgina plot line. Interesting. So, uh, all right, so what did you see? I mean, you have an African-American experience, male experience as your lead protagonist. What did you see in Daniel? Because he's actually from Britain. Mm-hmm. Was there any reservations about bringing a British actor into it maybe wouldn't understand the experience as well? Or, Yeah, I mean, there were,
0: there were slight. Uh, you know, he never got out of my real number one spot but um, I had seen him in this show, Black Mirror. I don't know uh-huh. if you've seen it, yeah. where he's he does he does the full range of emotion that I, I needed, and it's this beautiful performance. So I um, I called I, I got on a Skype with him, and uh, you know he was, you know we we talked about this very thing. I was very upfront. I was like, look, so I this is a this is the African American experience I'm trying to portray here. Um, I'm a little worried that you know. The, the, I don't know what your experience is. is it? And he was like, he's like, yo, yo. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This is a this is a movie my friends and I have been asking for for forever. This I have to do. It. And he totally got it, you know. And he said one thing. He said that really just sort of ended that part of the conversation for me was he was like, look, black is black, you know. Look, I've you know. Being black, operating in white spaces, it, it is what it is. I recognize all these moments, and he's like, you know, for, I, I have the further thing of in in Britain, I'm African. I'm African. I'm an I'm I'm, I'm extra outsider, you know. And uh, I very quickly, I was like, okay, this he he knows, he knows this world. He he, he knows the emotion um, that I'm, I, I put into this movie.
1: Now, we talk about Alison William and Rose. I mean, in Acts 1 and 2, the audience completely buys that she's on his side. You know, the great scene with the cops, like, standing up for the race. And then, of course, you know, the complete flip when she turns evil and eating Fruit Loops and stalking people online to I'm having the time of my life. We also buy that. Yeah. Like, the, the switch when you want us to. What did you see in Alison that made you think she could play all of that so perfectly? You know,
0: she's... Uh, she's just a she's extremely naturalistic performer, um, as I as seen on, in, in Marnie on on Girls. You know she's she just she feels like a very real person, um, which to me um, that was that that the first part of the the movie the first you know the first Rose that we meet um, just had to feel real and she had to feel. She had to feel like the person you would cast if this was a, a, a movie about an interracial love story that was going to conquer all in the face of whatever horror is coming. Like, we really had to feel that. Now, when I saw her in Peter Pan, right? And there's something about, like, so I knew she was, like, musical theater, um there's something about musical theater people that's like there's a psychopath in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was I I started a musical theater so I know but there's like there's uh, you know there's a precision to it and uh, there's a, this weird like Seeing ambition to it and um, you know it's, it's, it's so I, I sort of knew that other part was in there as well and when we started talking about it we were just talking about it in very precise ways because of course this character it's like every, the movie depends on us not figuring this character out which ended up being much more um,
1: probably the hardest part of this movie. You don't want to give away too much than when it was evil. at the same time, you want us to look back and say, oh yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah, and by the way, the, you know we've got this character who's bringing him into harm's way,
0: and it's mm. her family. So the clues are there. That, and it, it became, that's why it became extremely difficult you know, to, to want an audience to not suspect, well, maybe she's in on it, she's bringing him there. It's almost impossible. And so what it became about for me was People will suspect that. I give the audience the benefit of the doubt. They will go there. They're going everywhere. How do I take them back from that point and convince them, but nah, that's not this movie, though. This movie would never do it. And uh, so, you know, there was a couple of scenes that, uh, in the original script, um, I had, you know, after Jeremy, um, the, the brother, is, like, trying to put Chris in a headlock downstairs, we go upstairs... And there's a scene between Chris and Rose. And then the original script, it was she. Uh, Chris was like, "See, I told you, this is not what I was. Ex- you know, this, this it's making me uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. This is what I was afraid of. You didn't see it, and now you." And she was kind of like pacifying him. She was like, "Look, no, I know my. Look, my family. I see it now. They're a little bit clumsy, and they're a little bit." like, say the wrong thing, but they really mean well and just give us a chance, do this for me, baby. And watching them in rehearsal, I was like, oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I'm on <to> her, right? <laughs> like, the audience is feeling Chris, what Chris is feeling, which is like, get out, get out, get out, get out. Right. And for her to be the one that's, you know, taking away those arguments was just too much. So we flipped it. And that's where her sort of awakening, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. kind of came from which uh, by the way actually plays more realistic and, and has a sort of realistic merit where she's the one who's like she's dating this black guy and she's seeing for the first time racism and it's and my my dad said my man what the f*** is that my brother was he was about to st- strangle you he's never done that like what she's having this crisis and he's the one that's like actually it's, this is kind of like normal racism. <laughs> like, I'm cool with this. I, like, I didn't want to get shot, but I can handle this. this, is, this is a... So all of a sudden, now she is sort of representing what the audience is feeling, but we're also at the same time going, mm, but you don't know what you're, really what you're talking about. And, uh, but she's definitely not trying to keep him there. She's not trying to pacify him. She's, if anything, she's trying to
1: work him up. And he's the one that's said. So that little flip and a couple of times really... But it's also set up well because early in the movie we buy that she's actually comfortable and he's not. Remember, she had had to convince him to go in the first place. Right. So it's set up well because now we, oh, okay, now they're both, you know, a little clueless but they're still in love. That's right. Yeah. And and, and the other thing that really worked in my favor is that there's this
0: um, trope of the white savior in Mm. movies about race. And so... Well, you know what turned out is I think the audience instinctively knows even if they're not thinking about it consciously it's like there are no movies where there's not at least one good white person <laughs> to give us like to give white people that out like, I'm I'm her I'm her um, it just doesn't exist it, it's part of the the sort of comforting of this piece of the black experience. Um, I wanted to make some mischief with this thing. So that, it it felt important to me that this, you know, ultimately I could use the history of film to help disguise my twist and ultimately have this reveal which is like, there are some places you can go where there's, all white people are evil.
1: (laughs) It does exist. There's never been a film about it, but there is now. (laughs) Well, speaking of twisting, because I found it interesting, on the tour, you, you throw in the, the subplot of the grandpa losing to Jesse Owens, which ties in later to eugenics and, you know, the whole thing. How did you, how'd you want to play with that convention, this, that subplot of the, the German Nazi fascism?
0: Well, yeah, I wanted the, you know, the, I went to the, the, the Nazism sort of angle and this grudge that his grandfather had from Jesse Owens just to sort of bake in a certain motive... Or feeling like, wait, are you talking about Nazis now? What are we, what are we doing? But, um, but yes, the the real thing was that that character um, Roman Armitage, upon being beaten in the, in the qualifying round uh, for the Olympics, went mad, and he's part of the secret society, and he's the one who began working with this theory that bl- the black physicality is is an unfair match that, you know, we have, you know, the white people have the determination and the intelligence and the, and the internal ability. Black people have this unfair body. That's, that's the only reason I could be beat by Jesse Owens. So that's where, you know, he's the patriarch of the family. That's kind of where that whole thing comes from. And of course, that's why the groundskeeper is always running is he's trying to beat Jesse Owens'
1: time. Yeah. The, uh, I also find, uh, but one of the first characters that raised suspicion is Walter and Georgina because mm-hmm. you are sensing they're not talking normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you go about directing actors who are uh, being kind of hijacked by someone else's body? You know, I, I really m- m-
0: nailed it with casting, first of all. <laughs> um, or I should say, we, we nailed it with casting. Um, thank you. Yeah, they these Those characters were so important to the, the movie, um, and yet I didn't, going into the, the auditioning process, have the clearest sense of what they needed to be. So Marcus and Betty brought so much just by being them. And um, Marcus's take on the Roman role was this, you know, where, whereas I had at some point thought of, you know, thought of it very Stepford Stepford wivesian or whatever you want to say Mm -hmm. I had thought of it you know is it like are they kind of like lobotomized or well Marcus came in and his performance was so crisp and vibrant and it had this feeling like you were talking to you know Walt Disney himself (laughs) and uh, it just I hadn't I'd never seen anything like that it scared me it put me off balance And so he, uh, he he snagged it with that audition. Betty and um, Betty came in and has this quality of her where, she, you know, she can do this character that feels like yeah, there could be an old white lady in there. <laughs> First of all, and then um, and then when, you know when we got to the, her scene. It was really. It was just uh, like watching uh, just uh, an absolute master um, work. I, she 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 came. She did she did the scene. It was just you know perfect. I was like wow. That's you pr- you pretty much got it. You want to do another one just so we you know do another. She does another one. It gets a little bit better. Like okay great. All right well let's the you know dial up the crazy a little bit. <laughs> you know, this is a, this was a scene where like it had to be the scariest scene in the movie this far, and on paper it's really a conversation. So I'm just basically telling her, "Give me a little bit more crazy. Give me a little bit more crazy. Like get get me more nose. Give me more." And um, we did it 11 times, and I was like, "Well, this we could do this all day because it just keeps getting better." And so we got it. And I was like, "Unless you want one more?" She goes, "Give me one more."
1: We did, and that's the one that's in there. <laughs> Um, so, let's go to the sunken place. Mm-hmm. Uh, how no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, how difficult was writing that scene? Um,
0: it was, that, that, writing that scene was a little of everything. It was, it was, I, it was at the point in the scene... Imagine getting to this point in the scene not knowing what needed... All I knew, just like that, that other scene, all I knew was that I had had, I've had the audience waiting for 35 minutes to, for me to tell them what's the going on. <laughs> and um, this was a, an oper- this scene needed to be scary. It needed to tell tell them, look, you've you've been waiting for a reason this is scary. So I went to this this idea of like, you know, what's worse? What's what's worse than death? And of course this this feeling of being trapped in your own body for, you know, eternity or or Having, having no agency, having no voice, not being able to um and I had always felt like you know when you when you 're about to fall fall asleep and you feel like you 're falling, but you, you so you wake up and you catch yourself, I always thought to myself, what if you didn't catch yourself? what if you didn't wake up? Where would you fall to and that was sort of bubbling under as as, as Kind of the scariest idea, so when I got to writing this scene, you know it came out very instinctively um, in terms of my my worst fears and 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 sort of imagery I felt like was beautiful and cinematic and It wasn't until I sort of completed that scene that I really started noticing the parallels to um, the prison industrial uh complex mm-hmm. and and the fact that you know black men are essentially abducted at a completely disproportional rate and and sort of tossed away, and not just tossed away, but neglected, forgotten about by society, by myself. Um, You know, I got to this point in the script without, you know, really thinking about that. Um, And I started thinking about the experience of being black in a movie theater and not having our not 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 having our voice represented, not having our skin our sort of idea, and you yell at the screen, you know, don't walk backwards, mother, and they you know yeah. they still do, and so the connection of this lack of agency this this connection between the lack of voices, and so I re- that at that point, I realized the sunken place was this symbol for the system that keeps us down you know I originally felt like it was black people but I feel I've, I've had many people women many people of different all different races tell me they have felt that so I you know I want to I, I honor that now that this is a, a feeling of the voiceless a feeling of having your your power taken away and so I wrote this scene and I um I just started crying at the end of the scene what the, up until this point had been a, such a fun process. And it was still fun, but this emotion poured out.
1: And how, uh, what was it, uh, the process working with Daniel on set? Because he does everything paralyzed all in his face, yeah. in his eyes. How did you work with him on that scene? Well, that, you know,
0: the, you know he, he, of course, the, the iconic shot where he, you know, uh, you know just is frozen is just, you know, it's a, a beautiful. Sort of mask he puts on the the, the the moment the moments that really impressed me of his work in that scene were the, the the scene leading up to it you know so he's you know he comes in and you know Missy, who we know has this hypnosis trick that the audience is like Mm-mm, don't get you know, <laughs> don 't get hypnosis and uh and he comes in, and I need that like I said I need that black audience to stay with us so you know he can't. He can't just come in. Yeah, sure. Let's do hypnosis. You know that doesn't work. So for him to, but we understand why he would come in to his potential future in law. Uh, you know her, her little chamber and everything. So his, um, his, he, his guard was completely up. The way our guard in the audience was were completely up. And the trick for me was I needed as a director. I needed to hypnotize Dan, Chris and the audience before they knew it was happening. That's where the teacup comes in, right? She's just with the teacup, and she's talking about, you know, they're talking about pocket watches, and that's not, you know, yeah, it's a thing, but whatever. And then before we know it, we sort of realize, oh, it's already happened. I, can't, I can no longer judge him because I missed it. Um, so that's, with Daniel, we were talking very much about this guard he was putting up, and how that becomes stripped away. And um, he, did, he, 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 he accessed that real dark place of not showing up for, you know, the character not showing up for his mother when his mother
1: died. And it's, uh, well, uh, let's little talk about Captain Keener, because yeah. how did you work with her, because, or how evil did you make her in that scene? Was there any kind of wrestling of how Far you'd push Missy's character in that point?
0: Yeah, you know we. Uh, it was very. She when uh, w- got hypnotized for for this role to see what it was like and to see, and she had it recorded, and so we watched that together. We talked about it, and to to hypnotize, there's a real. You really need to be able to put somebody at ease. But to put the subject at ease, you have to. Um, there, there needs to be a certain calm and a certain, um, uh, just emotional. Uh, uh, I don't know relationship. Uh, so it was important for us that Missy was the character that was kind of the most comforting, even though she's not. But she's, she's listening to him. She's feeling what he's. He's telling her what he's showing her, and um, she got pretty emotional several times with him because she was kind of going. You know, I think Catherine was forgetting that she was, uh, you know, a, a, a villain in a certain way. Uh, you know, for many of the takes, um, and it was very it was very helpful because it, you know, much like uh, an, an actual therapist. Um, relationship or an ideal therapist relationship, the it helped Daniel open up, and there was a couple of these uh, takes that at the end of it, Catherine was crying with with Chris or Daniel, um, and then it wasn't you know. But I I was like you know I needed that dark take too. I needed that take where she rips the the rug out of this person we're kind of trusting. She helps him get to this thing, and then she goes, you know, sink into the floor. And it's, it's just this turn that gets us. So I let her do the emotional one the whole, the whole day, and then at the end I said, you got to give me one with the evil version, and that's, you know, where it goes at the end.
1: Uh, now we're at the party scene, auction scene. Uh, what were the challenge in that scene? How much did you leave out of the floor of like, him interacting with the different... Uh, people that are considering his body not a lot
0: on the 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 floor you mean like the cutting room floor yeah yeah you know. there 's not a lot
1: that 's cut from that
0: scene um, the, those scenes um, there might there might be a little there 's probably a little bit, but the hardest part of directing those scenes um, were you know those are the first times I had directed that many people oh. um, with you know the background actors and the the other actors, and it was it's just it's just chaos you know when you have to do something like that so um it was lo, logistically it was very tough but i was i was very fortunate to just have have found these perfect actors from uh i think from maybe atlanta maybe some from new orleans a couple of alabama natives we were in, we were in alabama uh but yeah, it was it was the the logistical was the the hard part there.
1: I thought it was interesting the way they just had a collective evil, <laughs> like each character was part of one evil plan. Mm-hmm. So it was like nice. So did you work with each actor like how which different aspect they would take of you know approaching Chris?
0: Um, no, you know these were all per- performances that, um, you know, I saw the the t- the tapes, uh, the audition tapes, and they were all performances where I was like. Got it. Got the role. There was not a whole lot of digging deep with those things. It, I, I really had to spend more time with um, Daniel and, and Allison to make sure that their reactions to what they were saying were making sense to the audience. Um, that Daniel, you know, Daniel has to get angry. They both have to get angry enough that we sort of like them, that they're seeing what we're seeing, but they can't get so angry that um you know it's it releases all the tension and um it becomes it, it it uh you know we we have to save that release till the end of the movie.
1: And now of course we have Andre the, the pivotal moment of that scene. How did you work with him because did you approach him differently than Walter, you know, in or did you kind of cuz he is the one that really finally gets Chris like I gotta get out of here.
0: Yeah, I you know he I, I think I had already worked with with Marcus and Betty for a while before uh LaKeith came in to do his role. And um yeah, LaKeith is, was an is an interesting one because he's so he's so cool. And I however like if I d- I dressed him I tried to dress him in like the squarest sh- in the world and he looked <laughs> he looked even cooler. I was like <laughs> How does that work? It's like you're making a f- chill choice. <laughs> so really, the, the, the hardest part with Lakeith was getting, I was like, you know, this guy can't be cool. <laughs> this guy can't be cool. You, we have to find something. And we, we ended up finding this, this sort of glaze, you know, this glazed over. We kind of went a little bit more Step, Stepford Wives with him. Um, to find it, and he, you know, found this Logan character. I think is so funny his portrayal of this character. But also, Lakeith is a guy who has a very, um, you know, he, 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 you know, unlike you know what I said about Marcus and Betty, like we're, he doesn't have that readily available old white guy that you can see in there. Mm-hmm. And and because we meet him in the beginning and meet his, him walking down the street. Um, You know, I knew I needed that part to be sort of uh, just an authentic dude. And then when we see him later in the party, it to feel like, "Mm mm-mm, this is wrong. This guy's cool. I know this guy's cool. (laughs) You know, the other ones I didn't meet, so they could be who
1: they are. But this guy, I know he's cool. Um, So that's kind of how we talked about it. All right, so you have an hour and 45-minute long horror film that's really getting under our skin. So you need a little release. So now comes Rod.
0: Yes. Yeah. So
1: how did you approach his character because of trying to break all this tension? I you know it was it was just that, you know,
0: I I a certain amount into writing a draft or a, an outline or something. I, I realized like look, we're at this point in the movie, you know, p- the point when they he they make the, fir- the the second call, the call from uh Rose's ha- uh, house, parents house. Mm-hmm. Um It's like, look, I'm putting this audience through this such an uncomfortable, stressful um, experience. They need a release. They need a relief, like you said. So he, you know, he he came in when his audition was kind of imperfect. Like he didn't like, you know, he he kept uh, ah frap the lines, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And it was. but it did it doesn't matter at all. it did not matter at all and and because you could just tell it was one of those situations I didn't know I was writing it for him, but then when he came in, I'm like, that's the dude, that's the dude I was picturing." um so for him, he would he, you know he came in, and like I said, he did his pieces in isolation, like we only had him for two days um and he was uh you know, some of the lines. You know, as I would write them, you know, he'd be—I don't know—he would get—he would get like caught up in the script a little bit, and then as soon as I was like, "Well, you know what? Like, look, let's—you know—how would you say this line?" Um, he would sort of open up, and he's a stand-up, so this was a a a situation where, you know, I I really ultimately asked him to approach the scene from a stand-up perspective. He's going on these little mini rants, he's talking about these crazy theories he has, these crazy ideas, and you know, and, you know that's where he rolls, and it's just like, you know, it just feels like your best
1: friend. All right, so now you have the, really the big climax, the fight scenes, you have, you know, the, starting with Chris Cotton in his ears, killing Dean, Missy, you know, fighting Jeremy. What challenge did you have in that whole sequence? Because it's only a couple of minutes, but it's really tight. Well, we had very little time to shoot it, so that was the the, the first big challenge,
0: um, and uh, and I, I'm I'm so happy with the way it, it it turned out. I mean, you know, every I think a great action sequence, it's it's basically this series of a victory and a setback, and then a victory and a setback, and to be able to change up the type of victory and the type of setback so that it's not you know i'm not i'm not into i, I was spoke to my um stunt coordinator who's a guy named mark vanislow who's a you know um just great uh stunt coordinator he um but i always talked to him about like this isn't action movie action that's not what i do like i'm 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 into horror movie action, and what that means to me is it's brutal, it's sloppy, it's off balance, it's um, improvisational. Um, the the energy changes, and but 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 also that I'm I'm I don't want to I don't need to see it all. The most imp- the, the most powerful violence to me is the the violence you don't actually see. That the audience does in their head, you know, the moment where he stomps Jeremy's head and yeah. kills Jeremy—it's like the most brutal moment in the thing. We don't see. I don't, there's no prosthetic. There's no blood in that scene. It's—it's it's a guy, you know. It's Chris is stomping a, a you know, a pillow, and uh, you know Jeremy's moving his legs and that kind of thing. So um, that's the sort of philosophy I, I, I went to is is. You know, if you if you put too much gore, if you show too many... If you show a knife going in, you're sort of taking away from the brutality and the audience's um,
1: involvement, in a way. It's also a good use of good sa- uh, with sound. Yeah, You can, certainly in Searching Harpfield, you can use sound because you had the, the sound of the drill with the brain. We actually mm-hmm. heard it more than saw it. Mm-hmm. And that... So how did you work with your sound designer to create kind of these eerie moves?
0: Well, we were just, you know the sound was we i i just feel like sound is 50% of the experience you know we we sit there we we watch and we listen to a movie so you have to put in as much energy into um the oral experience as you do the visual um you know we went we went just beat by beat and we we had we, you know my foley guy got some great sound design you know and and then uh, uh yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. It was very similar to the the, uh, the the visual editing process,
1: just beat by beat. You know, does this work or doesn't doesn't it work? So now we're at the end. So what uh, did you always want to circle back to? Chris's guilt about his mom when he hits the grandma. Was that always the intention, or that's a good question.
0: I I don't. I don't remember if that was a fix. So, you know, the part he's talking about, he hits, he hits Georgina, leaves her in the, side, in the road. Yep. And um, I know, I knew that I wanted, I don't remember, but I do know that when we got to, I knew that that was going to be one of the moments where the audience is like, no, no, you do not go back for that. We know that's not her. That's not... And and so I knew I had, but you know I, I I needed that to happen. I needed this scene to you know the setbacks and the I needed to play this moment. So I, I, it was a question while we were shooting it. I definitely while we were shooting it, it's like look, this is not gonna this won't work for the audience unless Chris is also like us going no no. Mm-hmm. You know, and he does. He sort of, when he voices that, I always listen to that moment because the audience starts going, like, uh uh, uh uh, uh uh. (laughs) And then when he starts going, no, no, they're like, yeah, no, no. (laughs) But then I believe it was in the editing phase, I decided that I needed to connect the dots for the audience. That one last thing show him as a kid and show the shot of Georgina one last time with the tear coming down her face to sort of signify this connection of like, if he doesn't get her now, he's his—he's never going to beat his demon. Oh, yeah. And and uh, and that what, by seeing her face and that tear, we are reminded. But she is in there somewhere. Right. She is in there. So when those two shots happen, like like clockwork, you know, I would watch this audience—the the audience go, no, no, yeah, okay, <laughs> no, no, and then. <laughs>
1: understand why he's doing it. I understand why he's doing it. And that was kind of the process of that. Right. So then, uh, did you wrestle with how brutally the ending would be? Or the levels of the violence toward the end? Or did you kind of always settle on your ending?
0: Oh, well, I I've, I've, I've had several endings. <laughs> several endings in, in several stages of the, the uh, uh, script writing process. One of them was a little bit more Stepford Wives Rosemary's Baby. Um, where uh, it, was, it took place in a uh, a gated community at that point, mm-hmm. and Rod, like three, you know, Chris is trying to get out, and you know, at the very end, he sort of comes up against you know some final force or something, and we go out. We don't see what happens to him, and then it cuts to like three months later, and we see Rod is breaking into the gated community, mm-hmm. and he's walking down this sort of main street of the gated community, and he sees Chris looking in this mirror uh, in, in the window as a reflection. Mm-hmm. And Rod goes, Chris! And Chris turns to him and goes, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one.
1: <laughs> and then you know, I like the ending. Like, kind of <laughs> yeah. Twilight Zone Yeah,
0: that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that one was very Ira Levin. <laughs> like, yeah. it's all going, you know, you are going to become what you, the, the monster. Um, but. You know the one, and uh, you know obviously people probably know that there was one another one we shot where he ends up in prison, um, which was very. You know, I think I think we just the the ending that you know I, I have in there is you know, has all the benefit of that ending plus um,
1: a a hero at the end for for the audience. So now I do have to ask you about another show you've done. Keem Peel, mm-hmm. uh, and I got to give you kudos to my favorite uh, short, the White Race of Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that short. But how did working on all those really short films really prepare you for feature directing, like exploring your craft? Well, that's it. You know, it's it's the the
0: ability to go back and let your story be informed by the limitations um, is invaluable. i you know I'm and I'm an improviser you know, first and foremost, that was like my, my earliest training was in improv. So, um, you know, with Key and Peele, it's like, you know, money was always an issue, um, as it is with every movie and every TV show ever. So as soon as I come across a, you know, oh, but you can't have this, or, oh, we can't, you actually can't shoot this in an auditorium, you can shoot it in a classroom, Um I go back and say, well, why is a classroom better than an auditorium? And then you rewrite the scene towards that. So, the, my philosophy coming into this, into Get Out, which was we did for $4.5 million, mm-hmm. we did it for 23 days. And um, my philosophy was like, anything they throw at me has to be the best choice that mm-hmm. the fates have decided for this movie. And you got, I just have to rely on my imagination to figure out why.
1: Well, we always end our show with the same question. Uh, could you tell us about a childhood movie theater experience you had or a special movie that might have influenced you going to your family or something like that?
0: Um, yeah, you know, I, there's, there's so many. And I, I just love, you know, that, that growing up for me, um, this movie theater was, it was like church to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would go there alone and, uh, you know, right after school, I would just go sit and watch with just a bunch of strangers, watch the same movies over and over again. Um, one that was, partic- was, just one that was very special was Edward Scissorhands, uh-huh. which I saw at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York, which is oh, this beautiful. beautiful classic theater that's now gone, sadly. And it's, it's huge. It was the biggest theater I knew of at the time and uh that uh just the that's that acute vision and, and aesthetic of tim burton um you know he had, he had sort of ex- explored it several times but this was where it was like everything came together and i i, I just feel like that was a you know an, a a lead a, a lead character that was an outsider mm-hmm. that was um you know Sort of, it was perfect timing, and the Danny Elfman score, every, everything is mm-hmm. in perfect harmony in that movie.
1: Well, like uh, your great ending for Get Out, we do have to end the Q- our Q&A. Uh, you know, I, thank you so much for taking time out to talk about this film. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to a
1: podcast by University of California
0: Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv. Bye.